Thanks for joining us on the Restoration Church Podcast, where we are leading disciples to live authentic, relational, and missional lives. Today is the first in our new series on generosity. We hope you enjoy. All right, so I don't know. I've I've had a rough night. (laughs) Had a rough morning. Had a rough week. I know people that have had rough weeks and rough nights and rough months, and um, probably many of us in here are discouraged or or down, and I just want to proclaim openly God is good. Amen? All right, he's still king. Um, and in the midst of all of our suffering, sometimes we probably think that uh, God is holding out on us. Anybody think God's holding out on you on something? No? Well, I'll confess, sometimes I think he's holding out on me. Um, whether it's you're short on bills that are due or you know there's, there's something coming in the mail, it's going to be a bigger number than you can handle, like you... You, you pray, God, will you just make this happen? And then you get the bill, and then your bank account still says $50. <laughs> you know? And you're like, wow, you holding out? Or um, you got the job promotion you've been preparing for, you've been working hard, you've done all the training, you've, you've done in the ex- you put in the extra hours, you try to impress your boss, and then you get passed over. Somebody else gets promoted. You're like, God, you holding out? Maybe you're, you're just working really hard to make something happen, right? You're putting in the sweat and the tears. You've got a dream. Has God given anybody in here a dream? And you got a dream and you're like, man, if, if you would, if, God, if you would make this happen, if you would help me with this, I'm putting in my effort, but if you would make this happen, it would be better for my family. It, it could be better for my, for my community. Lord, it would bring glory to your kingdom. I would give it all to you if you'd just make this dream happen. And then you look and you're like, well, we all got dreams, but dreams take capital. And the capital's not coming in. You put a GoFundMe page up, and it's not coming in, right? You do a Kickstarter campaign, and nobody wants to kickstart you, <laughs> you know? You know? You're going on a mission trip. You've got to wait until the final hour before the Lord comes through, right? God, you holding out? It's easy to believe that. It's easy to believe it because guess what? That pain, that suffering, that are you holding out on me, God, is as old as time. It's the original problem. It's the original struggle. Right? Back, back in Genesis 3, you got, you got this, this amazing God in Genesis 1 and 2 creates the entire world, the heavens and the earth, puts the stars in the sky and gives them names. He creates the land. He creates the seas, the sun and the moon by night and day. He gives the plants. He gives the animals. And then he creates man in his image. Man and female in his image. And then he puts them in this garden, and he gives them everything but one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. That's pretty generous, right? It's not holding out on us. That's pretty pretty generous. He gives everything to us. He just says one thing, just submit. Submit your pride. Submit your authority over your life to me, and just don't eat from that one tree. And then the enemy comes, and he says, guess what? God's holding out on you, right? He, he, tells, he tells Eve, he says, if you, if you eat of this fruit, it's not that you'll die, it's that you'll be like God. And he, if, you, if you know the knowledge of good, you'll need God, you'll be like God. And he'll want you to be like God. He's holding out on you. And that, that first struggle, that first feeling that God is not generous crept into the heart of Eve and Adam who was standing with her, if you read your text, he didn't stop her, and she ate the fruit. She gave some to him. He ate. 
death and sin and destruction and all the despair and the suffering that you're feeling right now that makes you think God is holding out on you came into the world because of the original lie that God is not generous. But God is generous. God is good. He is a good father. He has a desire to give us all things, right? He, he was radically generous to Adam and Eve. He gave them the whole world. Like, you can't do much more than that, right? I mean, even Satan, when he tempted Christ in the desert, he said, you see everything? I'll give it to you. It wasn't his to give, but he's like, I'll give it to you. That's a pretty big temptation, and God didn't give them. To, he just gave them the world. And I've got good news for you. The same God that gave Adam and Eve the whole world has radically generous to us. Despite how we may feel about it, despite how we may struggle to believe that God is holding out when our bank accounts are low or our dreams aren't being fulfilled or we're struggling in our marriages or whatever, but despite how we feel, God is radically generous. And He's a good giver. So we're going to start this series on generosity. And yes, it will be about money. But it'll be about more, more than that. This is about character. Because God is not just generous because God is generous. God is generous because it's who He is. It's part of His character. And as followers of Christ, it needs to be part of our characters because we are striving for Christ-likeness. Right. So when you hear this message... At the, the last thing I want you to think is I'm trying to dig into your pocketbooks. What I hope you hear in the next four weeks is there, God has a concern about our hearts and our character more than He has a concern about our stuff. So today we're going to wrestle with three ideas that start off the whole concept of generosity. Before we can talk about how we are supposed to be generous, we've got to, we've got to come to an agreement that the Scripture really does proclaim that God is generous. That that is part of His character. So we're going to see three things. We're going to see the one, that God is a giver. Two, that there is a myth that keeps us from giving, from being generous. And three, there's an answer to that myth. God is a giver. He is the giver. He's not a giver. He is the giver. Two, there's a myth that keeps us from becoming generous. And three, there's an answer to that myth. So, God is a giver. Um, if you'll join me in your text, we're going to bounce around a little bit. The verses are going to be on the screen if you want to take notes. By the way, there's a sheet of paper on all of your seats, right? It wasn't there just to create trash. Fill it out for me real quick, all right? There's pens randomly in different places. Fill that out real quick. See if you can follow those instructions. Uh, I'm not very good at writing instructions, so we'll see if that works, but fill it out for me. Um, in Isaiah 42.5, the scripture says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all its offerings, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. The first thing that we're going to see about God being a giver is that He gives us life. That our very breath, our very ability to cognitively think through this message and through the decisions you're going to make this afternoon and tomorrow are gifts from God. That, you know, when he formed Adam, it tells the story that he formed. He formed him in the dust and the dirt, and he formed man. And then what did he do? He breathed in the spirit of life into him. Right? He gave him life. Gave him breath. And Isaiah 42 is proclaiming right here that God is the one who gives breath to the people on the earth. Are you a person on the earth? Cool. God is generous. He's giving you a breath. Take a deep one real quick. Take that in and realize how good a giver God is. He gives us breath of life. 
depending on who you're sitting beside, you're like, could you give me some cleaner breath of life? That smells kind of funny. You know, like, depends on where you're, where you're sitting or what happened. But, like, God, breath of life. In Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, we're going to get to that, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Look, look, this the same promise that Adam and Eve had in the garden where God gave them all things, and then sin broke the relationship that gave us access to all things is now restored in the gospel, right? And so Romans 8 is proclaiming God is a generous giver. He wants to give all things, including he gives his son. In James 1 through 5, it's not just stuff. It's not just material possessions and blessings or life. God gives wisdom. Right? Maybe in the midst of your thinking that God is holding out on you, what you're really lacking is just the wisdom to see His goodness. Right? You're at, you need to, that, to apply the knowledge of God in those situations and see through wisdom what, what He has for you. Now, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. So God is radically generous not just in stuff. He's generous with spiritual blessings. He's generous with practical blessings. He's generous with relational blessing. He's radically generous. And being a giver of life, of substance, of blessing, is not just something that he does. Remember, it's part of his character. Being the giver is who he is. Because God is love, right? And what does love do? It gives. John 3.16 For God so loved that He... It's part of his character. For God so loved that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we know that his son was of himself, of the same essence of him. He was God himself. He gave himself in our place. He didn't just give a gift. He gave himself. But the, the essential act of giving is that you have to have something to give. Right? Think about it. If I, I can't just take Michael's keys from him and give you his car. Right? That's called what? Yeah, that's not giving. That's stealing. Right? That, that would be bad. Um, I can't just go up to Bobby and pull out his cell phone and be like, here you go, enjoy. Like, it's got 10 gigs of data. Have fun. Watch a movie. You know, like, it's stealing. It's not mine to give. So in order to give, you have to own, you have to possess something. God can be the giver because everything is His. That is a difficulty for us. That's a difficulty. Listen, that is the myth. It's called the myth of ownership. The myth of ownership is probably one of the biggest hurdles that keep us from being generous and part of our character. The myth of ownership. I'm going to explain this for you. Um, What is the myth of ownership? Basically, it's this. We tend to believe that God's things are our things. And therefore, we hold on to them with clenched fist. We tend to believe that God's things are our things, and we hold on to them with clenched fist. The Psalms don't always tell us the circumstances in which they're written. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Right? And that's the case in Psalm 24. It's simply entitled, A Psalm of David, a divinic hymn. Without specific background, we're free to see it as a, a psalm of life. It's just a description of real life. The Psalms are made of stuff like this. Frankly, it's full of it. Real life issues, blessings, difficulties, discouragement, um, celebration, suffering, rejoicing. Just the stuff that life's made of. It's all there. 
And the Psalms weren't meant to just be emotional outbursts for the sake of being emotional outbursts. They're meant to teach us, to instruct us about who God is and who we are and how we're to relate to Him. They were congregational songs. They were, they were encouragement that were shared among the people of God in order to help us to relate to God. They, they were emotive. They were full of emotion. But they were also cognitive. They directed decisions. In other words, they impact, by reading a psalm, it can impact your whole person. It can charge your emotions. It can change the way you think. And eventually, it changes what you decide to do. Right? We all have a psalm we cling to, right? Everybody does. Some of us, it's 123. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Or it's 23, sorry. The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It changes the way we think about God, and it changes what we do in the midst of our suffering. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's a statement of decision-making. It's both emotional, it's cognitive, and it makes you decide. That's why in the New Testament... We're encouraged to edify one another with that. Now, these texts are not going to be on, this, on the screen, but just hear me real quick. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the Word of God dwell richly in your heart, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in, the heart of, thankfulness in your heart to God. The, the psalms were meant to direct us, to encourage us, to teach us something. So knowing that, the importance of the psalms and their, their purpose, their potential ability to instruct us, let's read Psalm 24. Okay? Psalm 24, 1 and 2. And then we're going to read Psalm 57 through 12. Psalm 24, 1 through 2, right here. The King of Glory, a divinic psalm. The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid his foundations on the seas and established it in the rivers. That is a statement of truth. That's what David's trying to say. This is true. Everything's his. Verse 50. Psalm 50, verse 7 through 12. Hear, O my people, I will speak. Hear, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continual before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or a goat from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, mine. I know the birds on the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God's laying claim to His creation because He's creator. He owns it. Right? So He is the only one that can give it to us. Right? We've just seen through the Scripture that God is a great giver because He's the source of all things. Therefore, he's the owner of all things. He laid the foundations of the world. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything that creeps and moves in the field is his. In Psalm 24 and, 20, and, and 50, David is proclaiming the truth that we've got to understand in order to move toward generosity. We've got to break through the myth that we own things and realize that it's all his to begin with. God doesn't need our riches. He owns the cattle. 
If he were hungry, he wouldn't call Domino's and order a pizza. He doesn't need it if he were hungry, right? He's, he's got it all. It's his. He wouldn't tell us. But we struggle with this. We struggle with this because we buy into the myth of ownership. We all do. It re- it's, it, it, it's easy to do so because we live in a world that teaches us to own what? Stuff. To own stuff. We may academically agree with the Scripture. We may say, okay, then it says that it's all God's. Sweet, check. It's all God's. I get you, academically. But practically, we have a closed fist with our stuff. But, well, I own a car. I have a car. God didn't buy the car. I bought the car. I went to work. A job I really don't even like, but I went to work. Right? Maybe that's what you think. I love my job, by the way, if you're watching on Facebook. I love it. Thanks for having me at EMS, you know. But um, maybe, it's, maybe it's a job you don't like, you know. And, uh, and you worked hard and you got a paycheck. You saved up and you went to the car dealership and you bought a car. And you had to sign your name on the title, right? Whose name's on the title? Mine, right? Not God's, mine. Okay. I own a house. I don't own a house. Maybe you own a house. I own a house. Who's on, who's on, the, who's on the deed? Me. Not, not, not God. It doesn't say Jehovah. It says, it says Bobby. Right? It says Steve. It says Richard. It says Marianne. It, I, I, it, so, so the world is teaching you you own things. Every, everything, everything that we do growing up, you know what? It starts when you're a little kid. Right? Zach and Caleb. Zach, Caleb just turned three. He got a police car from from Grammy. And when Ken Zach wants it, what happens? That's mine. Go get your police car. That's mine. Don't touch that. Right? Zach, he'll play, he's playing with Legos. Caleb comes in. He wants to play with the same Legos. No, those are mine. You go play with other Legos. We learn, we learn the myth of ownership early. And then the world just drives it into our minds. Because then you go to high school when you want to get a car. So you have to go get a job so you can pay for your insurance because you've got to get a car. And you got to go get a job so you can have a house. And you got to have a house and you got to build retirement. And then somebody says, hey, thanks for working for 70 years. Here's your money, right? Try not to blow it all in the next 20. You're going to live to your 20, until you're 100. So, you know, like, whatever. Um, we learn that. But let me ask you this. Let me go ask, let's, let's just challenge the it's all mine mentality. You have a car. Where'd your car come from? Factory, right? What happened in the factory? Bought a bunch of metal and plastic and cloth, and they put it all together into a car, right? Where'd the metal come from? The earth, right? God. Okay, where'd the plastic come from? China. Exactly. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Where'd, China, where'd the Chinese get it? From oil, right? We, we process oil, and we get the parts to make plastic, right? Where'd the oil come from? Came from the earth. What made the oil? Dead animals and plants compressed over time with heat, and it creates oil, crude oil, right? Where'd the plants and animals come from? You know, you flip back to Genesis 1 and 2, God. So the oil that was processed to make your plastic, that was molded to make your dashboard, that was eventually put in the car that you went and signed your name to, who, who does it belong to? It all comes from God. Directly, indirectly, everything we have comes from God. It starts with Him, it'll end with Him. You have a house, great. What's your house built of? Wood? Wonderful. Where did the trees come from? Well, I planted them. All right, that's good. You planted your own trees. 
you lumbered them. That's wonderful. Where'd the seeds come from that you planted your trees? From other trees. Where'd they come from? It all goes back to God, creator, owner, sustainer. It's all His. But He gives us good things. I'm wearing clothes, Will. Work your way out of that one. Okay, cool. Your clothes have cotton. Cotton came from the fields. The fields came from the seeds. Where'd the seeds come from? God. Everything, directly, indirectly, comes from the Father. It's all His. In your seats, there was a sheet of paper. And I asked you to fill it out. Some of you already did because you're really good at obeying instructions. You're like, oh, look, it's not trash. It actually has instructions on it. And so you wrote something on there, right? And, you wrote, and I asked you to write the three most valuable possessions you have. Right? It was a trick. Can you tell? Right? It was a trick. And it's, what, here's the point. It's not what you wrote or the order in which you wrote it. It's that you wrote something that says you believe the myth of ownership. It's that you wrote something. Right? Hear me clearly. God's not after your stuff. It's already His. He wants your heart. Generosity is a character issue. It's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. It's not a stuff issue. As we get deeper into the series, I hope you'll see that. We've fallen into this myth of ownership because as a, as a globe, as a world, as a society, we've rejected Psalm 24 and 50. We've rejected the reality of the Scripture that it's all His. And we've created laws to give us the illusion that it's ours. The reason I can't take Michael's car and give it to somebody is because it's called stealing. Who says it's stealing? The law. Who wrote the law? Man. We rejected God, created our own laws to give us a myth that keeps us closed-fisted on our stuff. How much of the stress, how much of the stress in your life that God does not intend for you as his children, how much of the stress in your life is because of stuff? It's because of money. Because of bills. Because of the desire to keep up with the Joneses. Right? I was talking to somebody this morning. Anybody get the house app on their phone? No? I got the house app. It's really cool. You can look at everybody else's nice houses and all their nice rooms and their cool finished bathrooms and the ideas they came up with Pinterest and they put it in the house app. Like, you, you can look at all these things. And, and I was talking to someone and they said, after I look at that, I just feel bad. And I was like, I know, I feel coveted. <laughs> I'm like, I want that. That's cool. It's beautiful. You know, like... But we've bought into the myth that we own things and we've rejected God's truth and therefore we we collect and we grab on and we hold. And then when we got this tight-gripped fist on all of our stuff, we do irrational and crazy things to keep our stuff. Let me tell you a story about a little old lady. Is it up there? Beautiful. Little old lady, uh, she went to the grocery store. She had her purse. And in her purse, her husband had recently passed away. And in her purse, she had a handgun. I know. For some of you, are like, this is not a good story already. But some of you are like, okay, that's normal. I grew up in the South. She had a handgun. Her husband gave her a handgun before he passed because he wanted her to be protected in this crazy world. So she had already reconciled in her mind, if I have to use this to defend myself or defend my property, I'm going to use it. She had reconciled in her mind. So she went to the grocery store. She got her bag of fruits and her milk and her eggs and all the things you buy at the grocery store. She was on her way back to her car. She gets to the car, and in her car, she, or she sees four or three or four men. Three men. She's three, she's, she's three guys in her car. So she's freaking out a little bit, right? What are they doing in my car? All right. So she reaches the gun. She pulls out the gun. She's like, get out of the car. I've got a gun and I know how to use it. That didn't scare you. Just imagine a little old lady with like a, a 45 pointing at your face. So the three guys jump out of the car and they took off running. They're like, okay. Uh, 
this is the wrong lady to mess with. So she gets in the car and she puts her groceries in. She pulls out her key. She puts the ignition and it won't turn. This is weird. <laughs> so then she realizes she just carjacked three young men. <laughs> her car was three rows, I mean, three spaces down behind a Hummer, right? It was a little, little Toyota. So she, she did whatever she, she did. She did the right thing. She got out. She took her groceries out of that car, shut the door kindly, and locked it for them. And she walked to her car, loaded her groceries in. She put her key in it. It cranked this time. It was her car. And she drove to the police station to turn herself in. So she gets to the police station, and she says to the sergeant, I just carjacked three young men. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought it was my car, but it was actually their car. It looked the same. It had the same color, same model, everything. I'm so sorry. He just starts laughing. He starts laughing hysterically, and in, in the midst of not being able to breathe, he just points over to the seats where the three young men had just reported that an old lady had carjacked them, <laughs> right? When we grab onto our stuff, we do irrational things. When we grab onto our things, we're willing to do irrational things to protect it. When we're living with the fear of losing stuff, when we're worried about things that we think we own, we come to God with a closed fist, and our first thing is, God, this is mine, and I don't have enough. Will you give me more? And if you give me more, I'll be more generous. Somebody's toes just got stepped on, and I'm sorry about that, but we, we start with closed fist. We start with, this is mine. I'll give you something, God. It's mine. I'll give it to you. You'll be pleased with me. And like this nice little lady, sometimes we do irrational things motivated by fear because of our stuff. And it causes us to lose relationships we have with other people. It puts up barriers in our spiritual relationship with the Father. It causes us stress and anxiety and health problems and so on and so on because of stuff. I know you're thinking, I'd never do that. That, that stuff does not have a hold on me like that, Will. I, I appreciate your cool little story. I don't have a handgun, and I would never carjack three guys. But um, let, me, let me give you a little test that you can do today to find out whether stuff has a hold on you. Okay? You ready for this? Go home. Go to your closet and give away all but seven of everything. Pick seven shirts, seven pairs of pants, seven socks, seven settings of underwear, seven jackets, seven whatever. Pick out seven of everything and throw the rest of it in a bag and then take it to Trosa this afternoon. Drop it off. Take it to Goodwill and drop it off. Why are you laughing? Because you're like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> it'd be a little bitty bag. There you go. Some of us, like myself, it'd be a huge bag. But my closet is slapped full of junk. And I, I watched this movie on Netflix called The Mentalist. Anybody see that? And it's these guys that are going around the world telling everybody, like, let go of your stuff. Like, just let go of your stuff. It, doesn't, it shouldn't have control over you. They're, they literally carry everything they own in a side pack. Right? And when they get to their apartment, and you, you see it in the movie, they have, like, a lamp, a chair, and a bed. Like, and then they have a very basic kitchen. Like, you pull out the drawer, they have a bowl, a spoon, a fork. I mean, they have, they have minimized down to everything. It was a challenge for me. I watched this movie, and I was like, babe, we've got to get rid of all this crap. She's like, all right, sweet. So I went up in the attic, and I was like, well, I could, I could probably use this. <laughs> you know, it's like, put this over here. It's like, oh, well, we'll sell this in a garage sale because then we can give it to missions, right? Okay, we'll put that over here. And then I was like, oh, I don't want this anymore. You know, it's like, and I started seeing how much stuff has control over my heart, how tightly I grip things. Then I went to the closet. 
you know, and I was like, all right, seven of each thing. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I got nine of this. That's fine. No, God will forgive me. There's grace for that, right? I'll take four of the. Like, it was hard. It's hard to let go of stuff because I started like this. I started like this. I went into it. God, purge me of my, of my greed like this. But the gospel calls us to do this. The cure to the myth of ownership is the gospel. That's, that's, that's our only hope. It calls us to live with open hands and open hearts, unafraid, not stressed out. Because we have a Father who is a good giver. And He has all things. And so we don't need to grip on and hold on to things. We can open our hands to Him. The gospel is our hope. Generosity starts with realizing that we own nothing. We break down the myth of ownership and then open our hands to God, loosening our grasp. We've got to start with knowing who owns the world and all that's in it and then losing our grip on it. Instead of owners, then, we become what? We become stewards. God has given us good things for we can steward them for His glory, not for our own kingdoms. What can have that kind of impact? What can change our mind like that? It's the gospel. It's only the gospel. The gospel frees us from the myth and the fears that come along with it. The gospel brings peace to us when it comes to stuff because the gospel leads us to live with open hands and unafraid. The Bible says that when we believe the gospel, we become new creations. We get a new mind. We get a new heart, right? And then Romans 12, 2 says that that mind is being transformed over time by the Spirit, right? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this age. Don't think like this world. Don't give in to these laws and these myths, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing in the perfect will of God. In Christ, in the gospel, we have the mind of Christ. We're able to think differently about stuff and about life. Our characters can be transformed into being generous. Romans 8 says that in Christ we're children of God. Now think about this. Why do we need to cling on to the things of this world when we're actually children of God? Right? All those led by God's Spirit are the sons of God's. For they did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him, so we also may be glorified with Him. Our hope, our property, our, our treasure... Not this stuff. It's in heaven. It's His presence. It's His glory. It's what He has for us in the coming days. Like that's, that's where we set our hearts and where we put our treasures, right? Jesus knew about that. That's what He told us. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and thieves and everybody can destroy, but instead store up your treasures in heaven where moths and thieves can't destroy and can't steal. Where your treasure is, therefore your heart is also. Where's your heart today? Is it in stuff Is it in heaven with the Father? God is a good giver. Jesus knew that we're going to struggle with it, so in Matthew 7, he talks about how good a giver that God is. Right? Matthew 7, 9 through 11. What man among you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If then you who are evil know how to give Give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? He's a good giver. He's not holding back on you. But he's a good giver. He's not a stupid giver. 
Maybe our dreams, maybe our, our wants and our desires are not good for us. So the reason that you think God's holding out is because He actually really loves you. And that's not for you. He gives liberally to, of what is His to who is His, to His children. We don't have to be afraid of the blessings or hold on tight when He takes something away. We can know that He is for us and we can know that He loves us and we know that He is not holding out on us. The gospel sets us free from the myth of ownership. It shows us that our inheritance is with Christ. It teaches us that God is a generous giver because it's the very essence of the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave. It's the very essence of the gospel. The good news. God is a giver. We really own nothing, and so we need to open our hands and let go of our worldly possessions. And if that's difficult for you today, then I invite you to do something. Believe the gospel. Go back and and remember who you are in Christ. Remember the hope that you have in heaven. Remember the riches and the blessing that you get in Christ. That you you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. You are giving everything you need to function in this world for His glory and for your good. Go back and believe the gospel. And if you haven't believed the gospel, I invite you to do that for the first time today. Believe the gospel. It will set you free of a bunch of stress and worry and anxiety when it comes to this world. Because it gives us a hope of something to come. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on this episode. To hear other messages from Restoration Church or to find out more about what we're doing in our community, visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.